You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. Come on in, have a seat. How are you? How's life? I'm uh, recording this episode on the 18th, um, and I'm very chipper considering uh, yesterday was my birthday and I got pulled out uh, to have fun with some friends. We had a couple too many drinks. We had a couple too many dumplings. (laughs) And so uh, pulling my ass out of bed this morning was a fun little adventure, sort of an epic pull crawl into the shower and to get myself here. And I'm proud of myself. I, I sound pretty good. You know, uh, you wouldn't know that I have like cold sweats and uh, I have the AC cranked because it's so hot. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Today's episode's a great one. We're going to go deep, 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 deep into what it's like to be a writer, what it's like to choose the path to be a television writer, a comedy television writer, um, how hard it is to get to that position. We're also going to go really deep into um, why why the WGA is striking, uh, why SAG is striking, what is actually going on. Um, I, I, I know it's so simple and oftentimes you only get your information from memes or from posts on Instagram and a lot of people don't actually go and read the issues, don't go and read why things are going on. And I think those of you who are outside the business looking in, you might see this as like, well, why are these rich people complaining about not making enough money. I mean, they make more money than I do. Look, what we generally see on the outside of this world are the top people, top players, right? They're the ones that get the most press. They're the ones that pay for the most press. They're the ones that make the most money. And so you got to remember that this is an industry full, 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 full of people that work incredibly hard for the things that you like, the shows that you like. And without the work of these people that are underpaid, underappreciated, Uh, undercompensated for their time your shows won't exist your content wouldn't exist and don't roll your eyes at me i'm being serious about this you know the people at the top get a lot of credit but there are assistants there are writers assistants there are people that are taking notes in the room there are people that are essentially putting the show together and this is something that i've talked about with my team and my crew and uh it, it everybody if you're there you're an essential part of it if you're there if someone agrees to have you there if someone agrees to pay for you to be there if there's a position that's been made it's because prior to that when that position didn't exist the job was either harder to do or more difficult or we had a failure and we needed somebody else we needed someone to be there we needed someone to block off these streets want to make sure that there isn't an accident and your job even though it seems like it doesn't mean anything to a larger picture does if you're not a pa standing here keeping traffic away from stuff and people walking in the background uh we'll constantly have to keep rolling we'll constantly have to take that takeover because that homeless person wandered into the street and started urinating everywhere you know what i mean so without you there it can't be done same thing goes for office pas like if you're not printing out scripts if you're not Uh, putting together schedules if you're not handing these things out the entire team is lost and oftentimes when you're working on features and you're working on shows these folks are overworked and they're exhausted and they need you they need your assistance even if it's just to go get coffee they need you to do that to keep them awake to keep them going you're an important part of it i have always championed on this show 
going out and being a PA and being assistant and learning, learning on the job how this stuff works. And I have nothing but the most respect for those of you who have come and worked for me. I've had really great um, assistants and interns for me and on this show, my buddy Dave, who started when I started the show, uh, Dave came in and did so much work for me. I loved the work that he did for me. And he was incredibly talented. And he went on to then get hired and to then be running video departments and to then be working with that stuff. I had no problem making sure that I gave him the references that he needed, but also the support that he needed and the acknowledgement that, hey, you may not be getting paid, you may not be getting cash at this point in your career for this thing, but you're getting what you need. You're actually getting the experience you need and I will do anything for you. Same thing with Liam, same thing with anybody that's worked for me on a film or on a project because I need you. I really do need you. And I think that that love and that respect has been abused by the business. And I think that that uh, position, which I think started from a position of like a kid walking up to someone that works on the set and saying, hey man, I just need a, an opportunity to do this. I just need an opportunity to be there and to learn from you. And then that producer going like, well, we don't have the budget and I can't pay you for this. So I'm sorry, kid. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And then that person saying, you don't have to pay me. I'll do this for free just to learn this time around so I can go through the process. I think starting there innocently is where this thing started. And then that became sort of a tool for more sinister people where they're just like, hmm, that kid busted his ass. I didn't have to pay him. What if we uh, make a whole department that's like that? You know what I mean? And then it snowballs. And so... I think it's important that we get into this. You're going to see. I'm, I'm on a tirade and I shouldn't be. This is the intro of the show. Come on, Mike. Get on track. Today, I'm joined by Elliot Glazer. Now, Elliot has been a writer and a comedian for years. He's written on shows that we all know and love. New Girl, Broad City. His sister, Alana, is on Broad City. Um, they, uh, he has done shows like Younger, Teachers. Like this, this guy's been around. He knows his stuff. Um, and he's a he's a very nice dude. You'll hear it when we talk on the show. He is more than willing to share his stories. He's more than willing to share his opinion in a time period where sometimes, you know, you could be worried about sharing your opinion this much, right? Um, and I think it's important. I think there have been so many people that are concerned about saying how the business actually works because at the end of the day, you don't want to be shit talking the business that then you then have to get hired in, you know? Um, and uh, I, the both of us share a bunch of our stories and a bunch of our the stuff that we've been through. And hopefully you learn from it. Hopefully you have a greater understanding of what the strikes are about. And hopefully, hopefully there are young producers out there and people that want to be executives out there that just start to really focus a little bit on empathy and understanding. So that's what today's episode is about. Strap yourselves in. But before we get to it, I want to... Thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. I've been doing posts. Yes, my film 12 cam went viral again. It's been crazy. I spent, I would say, four or five days last week just spending the entire day responding to DMs, which is great. If you guys got the DMs, if you guys 
got the links. Um, there were periods of time last weekend where I just went on the live session at Instagram because the DMs have been getting away from me. To just give you a point of reference, uh, I get a DM, I get about five DMs per minute right now for people that are sending me their three favorite horror movies. So it's very hard for a human being to keep up with that with that tidal wave that's sort of coming through. And it's awesome. I'm so happy that it is. I'm not complaining by any means. I'm just letting you know that if you don't get a response from me, it's not because I don't like your stuff. Most of the time, if I look at your list and I don't agree with your list or if I don't agree with your attitude, <laughs> I write to you. So you'll hear from me one way or another. So if you haven't heard from me, it's just that I haven't got to your stuff. And if you become impatient and you need to see the movie, every once in a while, I will go on to Instagram and I will do a live session and I will put a link up and I will give you a temporary password so that folks can watch it that day. It's a lot of work, right? And I've had people ask me like, Mike, why are you going through the process? Why are you making this so long? Why don't you just post the movie on YouTube? Because it's not as fun. It's not as fun for me and it's not as fun for you. And I know it's fun because I've had thousands of people write to me saying that it is. This is a fun way to get your content and to be able to interact with the creator. Thanks for playing along, everybody. Okay, let's get to it. Ellie and I, Elliot and I have a lot to talk about. So grab those noise-canceling headphones. You're already wearing them. Why did I ever start the show that way? You already got them on. Crank them up. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of The Mobile The Process. Thanks for being on the show. How are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? Oh, doing okay. Recovering from a hangover, but doing okay. <laughs> yes. Happy birthday. <laughs> Once again, mining for compliments. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so where are you at, Elliot? Are you in New York or are you in uh, Los Angeles? I'm in LA. I've been here for um, 
I've been here permanently for uh, seven. This is my seventh year. Although I go back honestly quite a bit. I'm from the. I'm from New York, so mm-hmm. um, my family's there, and and work will bring me there occasionally at this point. So uh, yeah, I go back and forth. But I'm but I'm I'm based in L.A. Yeah, me as well. That's great. That's great. I just wanted to see uh, if there was. If you had uh, a greater advantage over me mentally this morning <laughs> because of the time. No, no. <laughs> In New York? <laughs> well, just because you guys would be awake longer. <laughs> oh, 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 I see what you're saying. I was like, no, New York is more stressful, I think, especially after a, a hangover. Yes, I agree. I lived there for a brief period of time. It's a wonderful place to live if yeah. you're busy and you're, you know, there's a lot going on. But if you're not busy and you're down, it's like, whew, it's very yeah, tough. No, it's, it's, it is. The best and the worst of 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 all worlds, I think. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Um, yeah. So, big fan of your work, man. I mean, like, uh, I love Broad City. I love, uh, you know, New Girl. I love all the stuff that you've done, and uh, it was just a pleasure to honestly stumble across uh, you on Instagram and, and be like, oh shit, that's why I wanted to have you on the show, man. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, how long? Uh, well, let, let's have, let's start from the beginning. Why writing? Like, why is this your medium? Um, well, I mean, if I'm going to be, you know, completely honest, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the most um, uh, financially profitable or not profitable, but gives me longevity. You know, I think yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I started out essentially as a comedian and you know, there's worlds in which <clears throat> there's worlds in which you can, uh, as, as I've learned after, you know, after breaking into, into writing, you know, there's a, there's the, the process of sort of climbing the ladder and starting as a PA and then maybe becoming a writer's assistant and really trying to work your way up to a writer mm-hmm. and then climbing that. And that takes a long time. And, you know, I totally, uh, respect that, you know, I, and I think, but for my sake i started out as a comedian and and sort of figured out along the way that there's a world in which you can make the lateral move you know after achieving a certain amount of success or notoriety into um into writing and so that's kind of how i got here and it became the most tenable um way to make a living while also pursuing the other stuff that i do as a performer Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but it's definitely the most um yeah, it's provided a, a tenable income, and but it's also so creatively rewarding. Like you know, I love, I, I love performing and I love um, producing and 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 all that stuff. But honestly, nothing is more fun for me than being in a writer's room with like-minded people who just who are funny, you know. And and the collaborative <laughs> process is just God. It's it's it really is. I really can't imagine a, a better gig. It's just so fun. Yeah, I agree with you as far as like being able to collaborate with other creators. And I absolutely love collaborating with writers and, and just, you know, having like the spark of an idea and then watching that idea just sort of morph and change as it goes through each person and everybody brings their own spices to it and their own flavors to it. It's, it's really the best, honestly. And, and I, uh, I just, I, I do, I love it. And, and I, um, and I feel, you know, I never lose my gratitude for it. It, 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 it always is just something that I, I, I try not to take for granted because it's so, I just feel so lucky to get to do it. Mm-hmm. I, that's, you know, just in all honesty, that's, that's how I feel about it. Mm, that's cool, man. And so 
how did you, <clears throat> I mean, because obviously you didn't roll out of bed one day as a comedian and go, I think I'm going to write for TV. Like, how did you, yeah. uh, you know, get the interest? Like, did you, were you producing your own stuff at first? Were you making your own pieces? I know a lot of writers were, were doing stuff on YouTube prior to this to get attention. Like, how did you get noticed? Well, I mean, basically, I mean, the, the way I, I noticed or, or kind of, um, discovered the possibility was actually interning in, in, I went to NYU and I, and I, um, I interned at Conan and that was the first time that I was like, uh, that I could imagine, not imagine. I saw people making a living writing jokes. (laughs) It it just blew my mind, you know, and not that I was naive enough to, to not think that that was a possible, a possibility, but I'd never really seen it up close and personal where I could see that these people were actually doing it, mm. especially figuring, you know, realizing that a couple of them were stand-up comedians and, and, and doing the New York scene at night. And so for my, you know, I, I basically like after college um, started exploring and doing improv and stand-up and, and, you know, getting my, getting my, my hands dirty in, in the scene in New York and really just kind of navigating my way through the alternative slash underground comedy scene. Right. And in doing so, it was like, you know, that was the very same time that um, digital content started becoming a thing, Channel 101 and College Humor and mm-hmm. YouTube. And so, you know, aside from getting into that world and building a community, um, I started uh, creating digital content just along with everybody else. We all basically worked, you know, volunteered to do each other's work and, you know, you were paid in pizza, but um, <laughs> it was, it was wonderful. And doing that, you know, as, as bare bones and indie as it was, you know, we, uh, it, it was a sort of fun, um, mildly competitive way to get noticed. And from there I was able to really make a, I was able to basically break through when I made like a, a, a video that went pretty viral and, and that's how I got a manager. And so it's all, it's a slow build, but um, you know, everything that I did sort of prepared me for the next step um, and mm-hmm. nothing, nothing happened just lightning speed fast, but it was a really, lovely trajectory to stumble upon. Mm. Yeah. Cause I'm, we, I have this conversation with so many different uh, folks in our industry and uh, you know, when you're younger and there's a lot of young people that listen to the show when you're younger, you're like, okay, cool. I'll go to film school. I'll graduate from film school and then I'll get placed. I'll get a gig. And it's not always that case, probably mostly not often that case. And it's always interesting to hear the success that people have when they create their own content in the process of creating their own content. And with you, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're out there working with other people that are also creating their content because at that point you're learning from them The you know, the sense of competition must be, must've been healthy to a certain extent because it's like, I try to one up each other or try to learn from each other. Um, and then in the process, you're creating your own stuff, which is really cool. And then learning your own voice. And then you're getting recognized for your work. That's been, been shot essentially and put together, you know? Yeah. That was, uh, there was, I don't know if you remember like the, the video shit girls say that that went, that was like a pretty big viral hit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, and in that happening, I was like, Oh, you know, you know, I, I was, I mean, honestly it was like a lot of them, the sort of machine of trying to create content was just capitalizing, capitalizing off of what others were, 
we're doing and, and you know, following that trend. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think innovating it, if you could, in a way that would actually get attention. So for me, I was like, oh, this is so popular. You know, in retrospect, you look back and you're like, nice, a, a guy basically <laughs> shitting on, you know, stereotypes of women. Great. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the time it was like, well, he's gay, so he can get away with it. And and it's, you know, it's an irreverent, you know, jump cutty kind of comedy that, you know, that, that exists in a in a bubble. So it's different. So all that being said, I saw that and was like, what if I applied, um, you know, a, a, a sort of like geo uh, um, local flavor to that. And so, especially in New York where it's like, you know, there's so, there's so much um, local <laughs> pride and phenomenons and, and, and things that people just only understand in New York. And so in doing that and making that, I did that really wrote it really quickly. We shot it in like, a day you know on a day on the weekend cut it and uploaded it like a day later and then woke up the next day and it had amassed huge numbers and i was getting like press inquiries and stuff like that so it was it was really a um an overnight success in, in 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 going viral and you know looking back now it's like it's it's almost cute in 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 how you know it's like four million and now it's like who cares you know that that's somebody's <laughs> grandma like taking a dump on TikTok and get four million views. But yeah. At that time, it was it was a thing, and I th- but I think the content of it too was like it became I, I I hate this is such a douchey phrase, but New York famous in that like we were getting coverage and people were like constantly noticing. Uh, stopping me on the streets and I was like for a viral for a viral video on YouTube like I couldn't believe it it just seemed you know I thought it was a a novel idea but I didn't think it would actually have the numbers that it did and attract the numbers that it did but and it did then start an offshoot of people doing it with their cities and uh, and you know why not I mean everyone wants to be able to like it's it's really fun to be like oh yeah that's that's my place you know all these 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 um nods to like only things that you and your your uh, neighbors know about but uh yeah and that but that was the thing that just kind of jump-started stuff and was able to get me work paid work um as a comedian and content creator mm-hmm. um and but i still you know i mean i was still certainly working um a day job in production and like it's just it just became it's it's the hustle and and my friends from comedy mostly who are in LA now, but who I kind of, who I came up with, mm-hmm. we all did that same thing. It was, was uh, a constant hustle and people who are in the same trajectory as me now, whether they're more of a writer or they're more of an actor or they're, you know, just multi hyphenates like, like myself, it's like the hustle really doesn't end. Mm. It just, it, you just have maybe some more people on your team, but it's a, it is a never ending hustle that is always changing and you know i mean you look at the the strikes like i'm, I'm in yeah. wga and sag and it's like okay here we you know here's a new challenge in that trajectory but a, a really worthwhile and necessary one but yeah you know it's always it's in a very amorphous um uh career trajectory to take and i think anybody who does is pretty courageous because it's not it's not easy you know yeah one would say one would say courageous slash insane (laughs) (laughs) because absolutely yeah yeah i dude it's the same thing with uh you know me and and coming up and being a director it's it's very it's very difficult that you can't just rely you know we have dreams to just do that thing but you just can't 
the way our business works is you can't rely on that being your main source of income. You can't rely on that being everything that you do. Like you have to be able to, you know, do a bit of everything to make money. It's really very, difficult. very humbling to have to admit that. And, and I, and I do find that most people don't myself included, you know, or, or don't want to. And, and that I think at least in the past few years for me with writing, um, the, the economy of it has made it so much more difficult that I, f- I forget who even said it in some article I was reading, but some expert was saying like now in, in history now is the absolute hardest time possible to be a screenwriter, you know, to, to mm-hmm. be a, to, to do this work. Um, and this was, I mean, this was before the strike happened, but like mm. it really was all coming to a boiling point where for the past few years, it's been, for me personally, just very frustrating though, even though I've had, uh, I've gotten work, the, the lack the, the unpredictability of it all and the, the consistent choking away and the eroding of any sense of stability mm. and a lot of like the, you know, a mo- the modicum of, of respect for the process that you maybe could have one day before from, from studios and networks. It's just been, you know, chipped away at over and over and over for years and years that, you know, to go through it alone, you know, I wasn't going through it alone, but it certainly could feel that way because nobody, yeah. nobody wants to talk about it out the, the, the hard stuff out loud. And so, um, you know, therapy helped, but I think the, yeah. the watch uh, these strikes happen was really cathartic because it was like everyone saying the quiet part out loud. Finally. Yeah. Yeah, man. And like, I'm right there with you. I, I ended up having to get therapy because of this business too. Like it, there's, it, it, it's so polarizing and it's such a, it's such a bipolar fucking thing. You know what I mean? Where, you know, you have like these high highs, you can in one day have incredibly high highs where you get a call from your management team. They're like, you've done it. It's fucking great. You're going to go, you know, and then you get a call two hours later and go up. Nope. It went away. And you're just like, fuck. Well, my friend Brent is a Brent. He, uh, he, he's my, one of my best friends. He's a standup comedian and a writer. We actually made um, a web series that got us some, a decent amount of attention uh, during the heyday of, of, web series um but he uh he always talks about how people you know in the business tell you they're obsessed with you they're they're obsessed they're obsessed they're obsessed oh, they passed you know yeah. it's like and it's just, so it is so like you said it's so bipolar and hyperbolic there's such a gross like sycophantic way of talking about things and then it's it's really cruel it, it, yes. it's very hard yes it's very hard it's it's really hard on you know, for any sensitive soul, I think the rejection can be excruciating. And so it's, I think it makes it, it proves that, you know, in an industry of artists, you know, where we are facing rejection over and over and over the tenacity to keep going, I think is even, you know, twofold, uh, because it's just, you're just constantly, constantly it uh, is, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's become even more difficult and it's, <clears throat> it's a wild, it's a wild thing to see and watch how technology really has uh, turned what we do into a commodity. And it's something that I've seen throughout the process of my career, because I've been directing and doing stuff now for over 20, almost 25 years. So it's been a while. And when I started this stuff, I started, my in was music videos. 
right? As a right. as a director, you know, at that time I was a '90s kid, so like, you know, you're looking up to like David Fincher or Spike Jones, and you're like, all I need to do is be a very successful music video director, and then I could transfer that stuff into being a film director, which was a total fucking lie. Um, but yeah. you know, but, but beyond yeah. that, beyond that, uh, just watching as I got into the music video world at that time, I remember I was talking to a couple of the big directors. I think it was Romanek. And they they were just like, look, I can't believe you're getting into the world right now because, you know, what your budget is was what our take was as a director right. prior to this. And you because of the shift with MTV and the shift of technology and how YouTube sort of came in, it sort of decimated that marketplace and decimated the career path. At this point, the only people that have a career as a music video director is if you're, you know, a trust fund kid that your parents bought you a fucking red camera and you just don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can also verify that, like, I had a, a breakthrough moment a couple years ago when, you know, in, in really feeling frustrated by the first, like, true lull in my work i was like what uh, what is i was just frustrated and just airing my grievances one day and my manager who i i really you know he he's kind of like a brother to me he's he's very honest and forthright and he and i i just adore him mm-hmm. and i was like what is why how do these people just kind of continually t- like seem to just get by and and, and like what am i I'm, there's there's something i'm doing wrong and he was like Honestly, no one's ever going to tell you this, but like a lot of people are <laughs> come from wealth, yes. are, are subsidized, are married. You know, like I'm a single gay guy, so it's you know I, I'm you know I'm not, it, there's no judgment to one way or the other, but like I'm not married sure. and I'm not in a I'm not in a relationship where I where we're like you know combining income or anything like that. But you know, him saying like a lot of people are just are, come from wealth or are subsidized. You know, it really it it, it kind of blew my mind because again, like no one's going to say that. Yeah, no, no but it's true. No one's going to admit that. And so to hear that out loud, not only just changed my line of thinking, but it made me realize when I started looking around a bit more and was a little bit more um, a little bit more uh, um, uh, aware of of my surroundings, so to speak. It was like, oh my god, of course, of course, this person, that person, like, yeah. No wonder they can like, not, not, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, replace somebody's value, but I just was able to see more clearly that like, it's not all, um, it's not a merit meritocracy. Exactly. And and, and then you also get a greater understanding of, uh, it's it, like, it's a hard conversation. You, you have a greater understanding of how the system can then be abused. Uh, yeah by by you know these larger companies and when you what's going on now with the writer strike i'm happy that this is actually happening and i'm happy that there is uh unions that can stand up against this at least in in the movie business because yes. in the music video business there was none and of in the photography another another field that got decimated by technology is the photography world and and the photography business had no unions to stand on either. And so I think we're just slowly seeing, I think it all sort of stems in a weird way. I think it all starts with Napster and then you're Mm. just watching this sort of very big sort of tidal wave sort of make its way through over the past, what what has it been? 15 years of, of just sort of like washing through, the entire creative field and it's finally getting to the top 
Yep. And uh, it's it's hard to sort of the irony is that like it's it's not the top. Like we you know it we are. I mean I I'm a co EP. The last job I had was a co EP on a multi cam show, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I'm at the top. You know, I feel like I'm still really pushing that boulder up a hill and 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 we're only now you know in terms of like the top it's like we're finally getting bob the bob Igers of the world to even admit they're not he's not even admitting anything he's just acknowledging Hmm. that there's some sort of um you know uh discord below it's you know which for better or worse means that like yeah there's a there's a a a long road ahead of us but at the very least it's like okay we can all acknowledge that there is a real uh stubborn Mm. disproportionate relationship going on here between creator and executive and 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 like there's an acknowledgement and at at least it's a good starting point but um yeah that that, that's where yeah (laughs) that's it i i I wish that weren't the case but here we are and like let's let's get to it yeah no it's tough man It, it really is tough it's that weird you know it's that weird our business is such a fucking strange place right because you have to you you need you need sort of very emotional very creative thinking folks. And then you you need, you need the, you know, cutthroat, you know, uh, money people, because what we do is not, it's so fucking expensive. What we do. But what you don't need is the cutthroat money people to take 80% of (laughs) what the sensitive artist makes. And that's where it's like, not only is that clearly, wrong and and not equitable but that these people then have su- exhibit such blatant greed yeah. and and selfishness and then and double down and, and and are so stubborn about it that you that's where it's 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 like uh pretty uh breathtaking because they are profiting off of other people's work but so like n- nonchalantly reaping so hoarding the most of the profits and then being, you know, and then being arrogant and, and uh, uh, somehow surprised when people are, as Bob Iger put it, um, uh, n- n- uh, dis- showing dis- disturbing, uh, <laughs> being disturbing <laughs> in their choice to, uh, uh, to, to, to ask for actual, you know, equity. That, that, that's the remarkable part that you just can't believe that they would be comic book villains who then would have the gall to question why the artists would just want to make their fair share of what they create. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's, it's a, you know, systemic in our, in, in the, in the U S culture period, you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's just, this is a, this moment is helping illuminate that in a way that I didn't, you know, I I mean, we're, 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 I think most of us are aware of, capitalism or as people keep saying late stage capitalism but yeah, like yeah. i think the unexpected part of it is that this labor movement among the guild is not only a domino effect with wga and teamsters and and but like like you're saying like with other periphery and then completely different labor unions that are all i think banding together to finally truly put an end to this uh um this completely untenable, untenable way of, of doing business. It's wild too. When you think about it, right? Because, 
you know, when I grew up, I, I, you know, I came from doing labor work. So, you know, for a while I was like an airplane mechanics assistant and mechanic and I painted houses. And when you're, when you're in labor and if you are like a plumber and you're a, a guy that comes in and does his work, um, the, the difference between our field and their field is that you feel like your, your clients or your bosses are leveraging your insecurities against you. And it's, yes. that's a big part of what they, you should be fucking fortunate to be in this room working for free today. And you're like, really? You're making money off of everything I fucking do in here today. You should feel that's fortunate. Why, you know, that's why I loved, I loved, I don't know if you saw Fran Drescher's speech. Um, no, I missed that. Yeah. So she gave a speech when they, when the, when SAG went on strike and I mean, it was really impassioned and a real big paradigm shift for me. And I think everybody, uh, you know, involved, but I was so, um, you know, I think the highlight for me was her yelling, like, it's a, I'm paraphrasing, but like, it's a collaborative process. You, you people are acting like it's not a, this is not a collaborative process where we're all working together to usher the same product out into the world. Like, that's it. It's a collaborative process. And to act like want the people who created it deserve to be there less it mm. is just, mm. it's just insane. It's absolutely insane. Mm. And it's, it, it's really just sort of the, you know, because I've been in the room with these, like, I think years of being a documentarian and being in the room with these executives and these huge company executives and just hearing their mindset, which is, it's essentially like, how can I make as much profit as I possibly can? And there is no connection. I think they feel safer when there are layers and layers and rooms and rooms of other executives between them and the humanity behind that's needed in order to create their product. And so yeah. having that difference and having that divide, you know, they're able to just sit there and go, it's all about the numbers, man. This isn't personal. It's business. When I hear that this isn't personal is business. I think that's the biggest fucking cop out because yes. especially in our, in our, in our world, because you've seduced me with personal shit. That's, that's how you got me here. Right. You know, right. And, and yes. And now you're just going to ignore that and go, well, sorry, buddy. You know, and you, you should be a better business person. You're just yes. like, fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's very hard to not walk away with that kind of um, mindset because yeah, you've, you you feel duped. It's, a, I, I hate to say it because it's, it sounds so, um, it's so depressing, but like, yeah, there's a, there's a hard, there's a hard balance to strike in, in keeping, um, active and and i think re feeling rewarded for your work but also trying to balance that against these people who unfortunately at the top are are ruthless and i think it's become clearer than ever in in the way they're behaving now Okay, got to take a minute. I want to talk about uh, gear. I want to talk about uh, equipment that we use. I want to talk about the sponsors of our show. Don't skip past these because there's a lot of good nuggets that come out of this. And, and so many of you that listen to the show are always asking, what are you shooting with? What cameras are you using? What's happening? Uh, first up, our friends over at Fujifilm. I'm very excited. We're in deep, deep, deep in a new period of uh, recording all of the Fujifilm Creator Series episodes. Uh, lots of great, I've been meeting lots of great young directors and cinematographers. We're doing this thing where we're pairing directors and cinematographers together for a lot of these episodes. They're very exciting because you get to like understand 
how those partnerships are made, how they find each other, how they work together. How do you take your idea and my idea and make it into something cool? All that stuff's a lot of fun. And it wouldn't be happening without Fujifilm. And if anything, that just shows you the commitment that that company has to creatives. And many of the people that come on the show uh, have short films that have been financed or partially financed by Fujifilm or supported by Fujifilm. Fujifilm supports people with equipment and gear. They support our show. They just give a shit. And that's why I'm proud to have them as a sponsor on the show. So if you're someone out there that's looking for a new camera, right? If you're looking for a second shooter, maybe you're just looking for a pocket cam um, and you're tired of taking photos with your phone. I've never understood. I mean, it was just a sales pitch to sell phones, right? That's all it was like, hey, here's a phone, but also it's a camera and it can take pictures and you have this thing in your pocket that does everything. You can pay your bank bills, right? You can pay for the parking meter. Uh, you can get into a fight with your girlfriend via text and on the same thing, you can take photos and video. I just don't like as a creator combining all that emotional context into the same device, right? I don't want to use a parking meter to film a movie. You know what I mean? And so I like the idea. I mean, I like the whole process of having a separate piece of equipment that I have in my own little bag. And that when I open that bag and I pick that piece of equipment up, my mind goes, we're making something. It's like when you pull a chef's knife out of a drawer, right? You're not using that same knife you know, to cut shoelaces, hopefully you're not. You're not using that same knife to open boxes and packages, hopefully you're not. Like that knife is getting pulled out because it's time. It's time to make something. Let's say that you're someone that uh, is just a, like dabbles in photography. Maybe you do a lot of traveling, right? You go on trips and you want something special. Head on over to Fujifilm dash x.com actually do yourself a favor click the links in the description of today's episode and you know even better click on the refurbished link because you might be able to find a camera that's been refurbished to new status and it's cheaper um but look at some stuff i've actually loved using the xt200 is sort of like a point and shoot rig um it's a great camera to go out and document the world and the life that is out there awesome little rig uh, let's see here. Incredible image quality for any situation to make images exactly as you remember them. That is very true. Highly accurate face and eye detection algorithm. So this stuff enables you to do autofocusing in, in a really fast and efficient way. Uh, so many of you who are like, I really don't understand how focus works. and I just want something in my pocket. The autofocus stuff on the Fujifilm cameras is pretty fucking insane. It's pretty crazy. Um, so there, there's so many different rigs on their website. I am a huge fan of the X-H2S, which is the top of the line rig for their mirrorless cameras. And I've been using that to uh, as my second shooter on my recent movie, shooting macro shots. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, you'll hear me talk with other cinematographers that have been on the show that have used this as their main camera on their short films and on their film shoots. Um, it's a really awesome rig. So everything that you would need, whether you're someone that wants to get into filmmaking and upgrade your old camera, it blows my mind how many people are still shooting with like uh, Canon cameras that were made 15 years ago. 
Um, if, you're, if you're ready to do that upgrade, check out Fujifilm. And if you're like, well, dude, I have a bunch of lenses that are just Canon lenses. Why would I buy a Fuji body? Well, you can look into a company like Photodeox. Photodeox makes lens adapters. So you can then adapt all those Canon lenses to your Fujifilm. So if you're like the glass that you have, if you know the glass that you have, if you feel like it's part of your uh, your tone and your visual style as a filmmaker, get your hands on a Photo DX adapter. You can put that right on your Fujifilm. And the Photo DX adapter is really cheap. It's like, you know, under 200 bucks. And literally you bring the entire lens collection to a new camera. Talk about a cool setup, right? And if you get your hands on the Photo DX PL mount, and for those of you who don't work in the business, the PL mount is a very specific mount for lenses that are used for cinema. It's one of the older mounts in the business, but so many like high-end cinema lenses still use that PL mount setup. So you can get that mount to fit on your little Fujifilm camera. How crazy is that? So then I can be shooting with like amazing anamorphic lenses. I can be shooting with vintage spherical lenses, you know, maybe get my hands in the lenses that they shot Barry Lyndon with and then do a little short film at home with my friends with the same lenses. It's crazy. And if you want to find lenses like that, they're so expensive. You can't buy them. They're in personal collections. They're floating around. They're in rental houses. And I've said this since the beginning, you should make a friends with a, form a solid relationship with your local rental house what is the rental house close to you if you're here in los angeles or in las vegas boca rentals is the place to go it's my local rental house these guys have the coolest collection of lenses the best cameras on the marketplace the best camera support systems on the marketplace boca rentals is the place to go if you're trying to upgrade your work, if you wanna break out, if you wanna stop shooting just on those still lenses that you have on that camera, get yourself a Photo Deox adapter, and then go hang out at Boca Rentals, try out the lenses, see what they look like. How does the Fujifilm camera process them? You know what I mean? You see how this, you see how these sponsors work for me? I, I, I'm honest about this. This is the stuff that I got my hands on. This is the formula that I got my hands on. It's an inexpensive formula. It's smart formula. You're able to create really good stuff. It's long lasting relationships. It's not throwaway shit, right? We talk about the good stuff on this show. Finally, if you're in the market for a new computer, build yourself a PC. I can't say that enough. PCs are stable, they're upgradable. There's an entire, they rely on an entire hardware marketplace where it's highly competitive, which means that the prices come down quickly, right? You're not stuck in like uh, a cost uh, controlled environment where a piece of hardware that's been out in the marketplace for how many years is still ridiculously expensive because they make it that way. You know what I mean? Outdated equipment. Build yourself a PC and maybe you just don't know how to do that. I don't blame you. It's a big process, a big system, right? Like what motherboard goes with what graphics cards? Are these hard drives? Do I have enough slots for these hard drives? Are these the right hard drives? You just don't know. I found a company that builds custom PCs and I love them so much. The dudes over at Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com. There you can pick up a baseline model computer based upon the software you use. So if you're like, hey, look, I'm going to do a Photoshop machine or I want to do a Premiere machine or a Resolve machine, they know where to start. They'll give you a baseline package, but they love to customize. They want you to customize their stuff right to them. 
Puget Systems on Instagram or PugetSystems.com and ask them about my specs. If you want to build a computer that is beefy and awesome like the one I'm staring at right now, 6K, multiple tracks of video, real-time playback. Um, I'm not going to give you the specs right now. You have to write to Puget and get them from Puget. So drop a note to Puget Systems. They love to hear it from you. Don't be shy. Click the links in the description of this episode. Head on over there and be like, what's the system Mike runs? Can I get one? You know what I mean? Finally, if you're listening to the show, you're a newcomer and you're like, dude, so many episodes. Do I have to go back to episode one? Well, you should. If you want to hear the emotional journey that is this show, <laughs> start at episode one, go through them all. If not, you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and I've curated the episodes by subject material. So if you want more writer episodes, they're up there. I talked to a bunch of really great writers on the show. Let me see while we're sitting here if I can pull some stuff up for you. One second. Inlovewiththeprocess.com episodes. Let's scroll down here. Writers. Oh, yeah, I got some great stuff. Uh, Episode 257 with Olivia Briggs. She talks about writing uh, for TV and also writing comic books and how that has been a way for so many writers to stay employed and to develop their style going to the comic book genre. Uh, I continue the comic book writing with uh, Daniel Friedman who also writes feature films, but he has done some of the best comic books out there. My favorite comic book of all time right now, Kali, he wrote that. That's episode 245. If we go back even further, we talk to uh, my buddies, Sean and Michael, the Rasmussen brothers. They wrote Crawl. Remember Crawl, the alligator movie? That's episode 51. Great episode. We actually talked to my dad, who went from being a banker to writing novels. In episode 70, there's a lot of good stuff. So if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, check it all out. And there you'll find individual web pages for each episode that have supplemental material. So if you want to see trailers for the work that these people are doing for this episode now, you should go check it out and see the work um, that our guest Elliot has done. So make sure you go over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Okay, that's it. Let's get back to the show. It's become even more intense, I feel like, with, you know, the with the streaming, right? So you've got like two different types of companies. You've got the old studios that are, frankly, trying to keep up with these other companies who, <laughs> let's be real, make a majority of their money, you know, delivering toilet paper to your doorstep. Like, right. like yep. the, this, this sort of little media department that they have, it's, you know, it's almost a fucking write-off for them. And so, like, for them to sit here and go, like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> we don't care. We don't care what you do because we don't need to do this. And so get, yeah. on, get on the bandwagon. And if you don't, there's a hundred, a thousand other hungry people behind you that will come in here and do it cheaper and for less. And if you guys can't get on the bandwagon, we'll just go somewhere else where, right. you know, we can get all this stuff and, you know, walk into a small country and hand them scraps and, uh, you know, get the same sort of content that we need. It's, right. it's disgusting. It's, it's yeah it's 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 uh 
you know, you don't want to be like, I don't know, you, you don't want to be uh, um, naive about these things, but at the same time, like it, it it's art, you know, yeah. it's art. And, and without being too precious, there, there always will be a preciousness to it that we're going to be defensive of when people treat it like machinery and, and that, that they could just hand off to robots. You, you know, it's just not, it's not, tenable and it's not something i want to think about yeah me either <laughs> me i so like we quickly yeah. stepped into this um I, I yeah i i mean it's it's a real thing and i think it's important that we talk about this stuff for real because i think from the outside especially the outside of our business people look at it and they only see what is the top percentile of everybody that works in this field and they're like well, what are you complaining about like they literally well, exactly you know you literally have craft services i fix toilets every day no one shows up with a tray of brisket and hands yep. me a brisket while i'm you know it, it's like yeah but it's a like you also aren't you know being crammed into a room for 15 hours and barely getting overtime and you well, know. everything's, I mean, everything's, it, it's, it's just, everything's relative and, and it, you know, there, there's, I don't, there's no real other way to, to explain it. Everything's relative. And like, you know, th- this might, you know, a job with craft services can clearly sound, you know, much more glamorous to somebody who's fixing toilets. But to me, somebody who's working in tech or, or some, you know, another, another, I, I don't know, another, uh, uh, business entirely can and will have, uh, you know, elements and, and, and um, that will have parts of their, their job that are completely uh, dwindling and minimizing of what I do. And again, like I, I don't say it as somebody who doesn't take, who, who takes this job for granted. I, I, I don't, I, I love it, but it's, it, it just, it is all relative and it's, it's, it's what you can, go after it's what access you have it's where you mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. geographically like and this is the thing that people like you and i have decided to follow but you have but but yeah there most people are only seeing a very small amount of of people do this do the work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I my my so when I started in this business, I you know wrote out of necessity being a director that needed something to shoot. Um, and I quickly realized that that you know isn't my strong suit. And I've been very fortunate to work with amazing screenwriters and, and very talented f- folks. And I think th- one of the things that I learned um, that I didn't learn in school or anything prior to that is that the the the, the craft of screenwriting, whether you're writing for TV or if you're writing for film, is actually putting together not just a not just a plot line and a character arc that uh, is a great story for the piece, but more so writing something on the page that gets people excited to make the fucking thing that it, it instills uh, a sense of movement behind a project. I mean, and not one of the things that I find really fascinating is that a writer's job doesn't just stop at putting stuff down on the paper. It's also like being able to craft the correct email to get people excited about stuff and then doing revisions and how do you process dumb notes and how do you find good notes within, uh, you know, uh, you know, money-based notes. Uh, it's a, it's a huge, huge undertaking. Yeah. Well, the, the writing is the writing of the work itself is, I, I think 
fifty percent of the actual <laughs> work, and so much of it is pr- producerial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, man. And I, I say to my screenwriter all the time, I'm like, I don't know how you do it, dude. I don't know how you do it, it's, yeah. especially in the feature world where it's like, I literally, I hate to do this, but I'm literally crossing out all of the screen direction that you spent hours yeah. before I hand it to the actor, and you yeah. know. So it's it's brutal, and it seems like the writers are the last one to get. It's quite obvious now that they're the last ones to get respect for this sort of thing because it's yeah. like, it's, and and I and you know to to think that is is like to get to that point where it's it, it feels that way is pretty pretty shitty. But like, but then to actually see it expressed in the real world in real time by people. And seeing that firsthand with the, with in the in the you know with the strike yeah. is so cathartic because it's like wow they they really do for whatever reason at the top they really do devalue the writing for some for some reason you, you know it's like I'm not saying the writer is better or more valuable than the actor or the you know the line producer or, or anybody it, it's not it's not that it's just that for some reason. They see the the writing, the writer, and the writing process as being so. Uh, I don't know what the word is like I, pointless, silly. Uh, it's no. so devalued. I do. There's a piece of me that wonders. <clears throat> you know, after you know, we we've been working on feature stuff and pitching feature stuff, and and I think what a, what a lot of the audience doesn't understand is that you know, you write a script. These days you're expected, in the feature world at least, these days you're expected to do everything on what they call spec. It's a very cute, yeah. it's a very cute word for free. It's, free, right. And so you're expected to do stuff for free because no one at this point is going to pay you to develop stuff, especially if you're not a name and you don't have a great agent management team behind you leveraging shit. They're going to go, just write it on spec. Is it, Are you going to spec this out? Right. And and what I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, you then spend all that time breaking a story, which is ridiculously hard to do sometimes. And yeah, you go through the process of putting this whole thing together, you write out a whole spec script. Let's call it what it is, free script. And, free work, yeah. And then you send it in to producers, and then they just immediately just like take it apart. Like the, the past feature that we were writing on, we did 12 rewrites, 12 right. rewrites on spec. And then still oh, yeah. not to have the fucking thing go. Um, and I think there's something to be said about the devaluing. And I wonder if this is a big part of it. And we talk about this as, as a director in the commercial world, because it's the same thing in the commercial world when you're going to uh, put in for an ad and you have to spec out your treatments and you spend like seven, eight days putting together treatments and specking that shit out. And then these commercial companies just take those treatments. There's no value to it because we don't charge for it because there's no, there's, there's no compensation for specking. And I think and that's, that's where it that's, starts. That's thematic. And that's, that's a systematic flaw. Yeah. And, and that's where you're like, wait, I'm do- it's, I mean, it, it is pretty mind blowing. Like, wait, I'm, so I'm doing this work for free because you on the other hand, on the other uh, side of the coin could theoretically say, well, if you're not going to do it for free, somebody else will. Yeah. And that's not, that's just not right. It's just, it's just not right. And I think at this point that is a big part of the, 
the, the reason that we're striking because that lack of respect is so it really, I mean, it really is. It's like, that is the opposite of like the, um, it sounds so cliche, but it's the opposite of the American ideal that you work and you get paid and you're, you're contributing and, and getting and being valued as a, as a person, as a creative, like it shouldn't be so black and it shouldn't be so, um, uh, you know, it shouldn't be so, so, vague yeah it's it's, and it's very vague and there's no real explanation for it other than you're being taken advantage of you know it's 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 so uh, it's such a and it's a systematic thing that needs to be fixed and assessed and the guild at least with the writers guild when they you know i i personally in a couple of meetings was like we really need to i would really appreciate seeing some movement towards fixing free work because it's just so it's so um widespread and and ubiquitous and yeah. that was actually made its way into the negotiations where the amptp or whatever it said uh their, their their counter to to that was like having a discussion or they they said like we'll we'll offer a meeting and it's like a meet what what do you mean a meeting with who what are you talking about <laughs> oh great you gotta hand out water bottles and we're gonna sit in the waiting room and wait yeah fuck off. great yeah it, yeah it was really really wild um yeah that they have the audacity to talk about it that way well and it, it, okay so to play devil's advocate correct so you're sitting here going all right well you know a lot of these production companies uh, are like, well, we don't have the financing. We don't have the financing to pay for this stuff ahead of time, quote unquote. Um, and so this is, you know, you go into it with us. We're a team. So you do this work and then we'll take uh, your work and we'll get it sold and we'll get it pitched. But my counter to that has always been like, if it isn't all free, then when you specifically hunt for folks or if you ask someone to do something and you're spending money on it, you're going to be hyper-focused on that. It's not going to be some passive thing that's being created in the background. You're not right. going to have like 40 fucking passive scripts being specced out for you. You're going to go, all right, here's, we've done the research. These pinpointed, these are the people that we want to work with and we're going to pay them. So that makes it a priority for us at this point. It's not some passive fucking bullshit that, of course. that, that later just gets dismissed because the industry changes randomly. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, anyway. I'm trying not to that's go too deep. That's where the term. I mean, that's where I, I didn't. I'd never heard the term until I got into the business. Hurry up and wait. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get in terms of like at least development. It's it, you're you know there's a, a a rapidity to it and a push to to get to make to get to make and usually in that process it's you're not getting paid and then once you finally do make the, the thing you get, you get it done that you've been working on it. Oftentimes it, the other side goes quiet. There's the, the urgency suddenly disappears. And as the guild will tell you, often we have to chase down getting paid for that work that they've been yes. asking for, for, you know, trying, like trying to get with a, almost an, a, a, an almost unreason, unreasonable amount of, of time in an unreasonably short amount of time. Yes. And then they disappear. It, 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 that's where the lack of respect comes in. And I think that's where the hope is that these, um, these, these, these conversations will actually lead to some systematic change that way. I hope so, man. I mean, my world is a little different than, than yours. I, I don't do comedy. I do horror. 
And, ho- right. and horror is, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's the scratch ticket of uh, our industry. You know, it's like, hey, let me throw down four bucks and maybe I'll win a million on this scratch ticket. And I think a lot of people uh, don't acknowledge the fact that the reason why horror films are so inexpensive or the reason why they try to cram us as directors, there are entire business strategies out there by different production companies in the horror world. I'm not going to out anybody, but uh, where they're like, we don't do anything more than two million. And you're like, okay. And so in order to cram yourself into this, this number that's randomly placed there, uh, it's like, okay, well, that means that I'm doing everything on spec. That, right. that means that I'm, uh, you know, uh, getting paid some baseline fee as a director or as a creator for this thing to, in order to fit this fucking bullshit, you know, number that you guys have set up there as part of your business strategy. Um, yeah. And then at the end of the day, you're going to make 400 times the amount that it costs you to to make this fucking thing and then say like well if you do a sequel you'll get paid more you can renegotiate on the sequel it's like well how about you share the profits yeah of the yeah. 400 400 increase the percentage increase yeah. that was there yeah but that's the and that's but that's the the crux of it how, like how, how do they not how do how do they not and and now isn't is now isn't now more a time more the time than ever to actually um, change that, or at least hold them accountable to 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 the fact that it is so in, uh, unequal, and, yeah. and and there needs to be less of a disparity between the the top, you know, the the, the, the richest and and the and the people who are actually making the stuff that has given them that wealth. And what's I, what's I, it's not ironic is the wrong word for it, but what's frustrating about it is that I know a lot of people that work in this business and I'm sure you do and executives that work in this business that genuinely, genuinely care about us as creators and and support us, support us as creators. And they're forced to have to do this, to be a competitor in, in their industry. They're forced to have to do it the same way that these big boys at the top have sort of set in place. And so, yeah. It, like I don't want to be demonizing uh, executives out there because there are so many fantastic producers and executive producers Absolutely. and people out there that really fucking care about making great content and that are loyal and supportive and you and artistic and artistic. Yes, completely. It's just unfortunately there's there's um, I think it, it, it's it's the not it's the ones who aren't who I think make so much impact because you just. Uh, the creatives just can't believe the consistent like attitude that they, they thwart upon everybody else. But you're right there. That's not to say that there aren't some absolutely wonderful creative um, executives who really do offer perspective that can, can genuinely help change shape and collaboratively move something towards being the best product it can be. Yes. I mean, that's the dream. I mean, as a director, that's the fucking dream. Like, you know, I'm, I'm desperately trying to form strong bonds with producers and executives that really appreciate my work and support my work. That's, that's the fucking dream. Like you want to be in a mode and you have to be in a mode as a creator to just go like, let me just create, please watch out for me as I go through the process of making this stuff. And it's almost impossible to do that currently in the, in the current climate that we have. 
in, the, in this business. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, as we fall down into this hole, <laughs> I'm glad that you took an optimistic turn because I because we we sh- I'm glad you did. We should. Yeah, man. Because like, the, I, I think the danger, you know, we live in a culture right now where it's all about like who's the bad guy, demonize them, and 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 you know, you know, cancel and shut shut it down. It's it's not just that. I, I think if you are examining what's happening in this field, which has happened in all these other fields creatively and not just creatively, but it's also going to start happening in like ride sharing and with taxi drivers and like all the stuff that's happening because of tech, right? And the the push for tech to make things more uh, financially, you know, <laughs> good for the people that have the investment in it. I, you have to remember at a certain point that it's in, it's bred into us as a, as a fucking country to be the people yeah. that are like, how big's your pile? Is your pile big enough? I don't know. I'm going to keep stacking nuts. Why? Well, this is, we call this now generational wealth. So I need to have enough money to, to sustain my great grandkids as I sort of dig through this pile that's only big enough for, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I think, I, I just think there's been no bridge between um, generations. I, I just, I think younger people, millennials and, and, and Gen Z uh, and younger are not willing to put up with the same, uh, the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and I think even the, you know, older people who are on strike as well, I think, there is a over overwhelming push to change that system and that that sort of American myth. Yeah, and, and I think, but I think because we've been we have been forced to get to that place, we're now finally seeing it. And so when you hear, I mean, even the whole thing with like uh, Supreme Court trying to roll back um, uh, affirmative action mm-hmm. and, and colleges, you know. It's like, it's so, there's such dinosaurs and it's so archaic, but it's also cruel. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's because the the courts are stacked, of course, but I think younger people are just not as slimy (laughs) and and greedy as, as the older generations are. But I think that the older generations, not to, to defend them, but I think they were buying a different narrative and one that's been yes. eroded yes so as time has gone on and we've seen injustice and unfairness and just the way that people are you know treated um and how they are financially uh punished for their their skin color or their you know what socioeconomic places they're born into in the world yeah i think people who are younger and on the younger side are less apt to just accept it and especially after 2020 yeah 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 well i mean fingers crossed on all this stuff and that it you know it does because it, it does sort of shape our business into something that's a bit more healthy and and yes one, one hopes for that one really does yeah. so i think I, I do i mean i am hopeful i mean even if i don't sound hopeful i i am i think you know it took a a moment to really get to this place, but it really feels like, you know, I think the AMTMP, I'm, I keep using the wrong letters, but <laughs> I think they, they really thought that it would just be as simple as saying, all right, let's meet your new, um, your new minimums and then move on from there. And this 
has really been so clearly and so vocally an existential conversation about the longevity of the job, the humanity of the way we're treated and by and large, the, 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 an acknowledgement of the systematic inequity that, uh, that touches everybody affected by like capitalism and, and by the way that, that it's just rigged to benefit so few people at the top and it's time to really shake things and, and, and not just in this industry, but to really show the disparity between labor and, 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 uh, and the, the boss. So, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah, no, it's great, man. And Elliot, I I mean, it's, I think it's great that you and I are talking about this stuff. And I think it's great that we're being uh, honest and upfront about like how we feel about it, what we see in this business. Cause it's, you're right, man. And it, it affects, it affects everybody. And it, it, you know, it may seem from the outside, if you're just a movie fan, or if you're someone that doesn't really work in this business, it may just seem from the outside, uh, from your perspective, like here's a bunch of wealthy people complaining about not making enough money. And it's no, it's not that at all. I think, I, don't think it, I think it might have, it might have gone that way before, but I think as soon as the guild came out and SAG came out and have really explained you know what how these things actually look when you break them down even if you're you live in you know Missouri and you work in mm-hmm. you know, a completely different sect i think it i think i think and maybe i'm being naive but i think that myth can can disappear pretty quickly once you just see oh you know numbers aside it's it's just a lack of humanity and an, and the inequity is just universal at least in america this is a universal thing that everybody so many people face but it just feels like an impossible machine to um take apart mm-hmm. but that's why i think that I, that's why i think that people are really not by and large just going off of the idea that it's rich people complaining yeah 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 well, to slightly pivot and uh, to to make sure that we're not <laughs> yeah. lost in this forever, but I I think that uh, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Like, um, what is the moment? Like, we go through this, right? We're we're very passionate about where we work, and we're very passionate about you know being compensated for these things. Um, what are you fighting for? What is the what is your favorite part of writing? Like, is there a moment? in the writing process for you where you go, this is it. This is what I'm fighting for every day. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I love, I love the, the part of the, I just love the process in a writer's room of uh, break. Well, breaking story can be pretty tenuous and, and <laughs> excruciating part, but at the same time, like when you get going, the fun of collaborating is just like, that's when to me, the, you know, the machine really starts to go, you know, the, the wheels really start to go and you get, you know, you're really in the driver's seat. And then it's, that is to me like the most fun and illuminating part of it is just, you know, hitting and hitting and hitting and new idea and new idea and build and shift and pivot. And then getting the okay to then move on and take, take the script or take, take the outline mm-hmm. and go write it for a week. Um, or a few days, whichever depends on whichever room one is in, but mm-hmm. sitting there with, with the blank page, you know, a blank page in a final draft um, file, but having all the tools 
underneath me of an outline of notes of all the work that I've done with these people. That is like so exciting because I get to do my, you know, give my spin to what we've worked on together, knowing that like at the very least, I'm going to get this first draft out Mm -hmm. as best as I can. And then we all get to work on it together, even if it means killing your darlings and chopping and screwing and rewriting at this, at the very least, like we did this, we made this, we brain trusted this and we're going to take it to the finish line. Um, Do you get, that's what I love. Do you still get nervous? Like when you take all those notes, you go home and you write, do you get still get nervous when you present it to everybody? Yeah, there's never, it's never, yeah, of course it's, it's, it can be nerve wracking, but, um, at the same time, well, no, no, and yes, it can be nerve wracking. That, that's that. I end of the end of answer, end of sentence. <laughs> yeah, but there's something there's something exciting about that too, right? Like, and especially yeah. if uh, you know a fellow writer in the room like really registers with like that extra spice that you put on it from whether it's from your own personal life or some sort of experience that you've had, and then you put that in there. That must be like the coolest thing in the world. What I love is like. Uh, the last show that I was on uh, was the uh, iCarly. We have the third season, which is out now. That's great. Um, and uh, my the episode that I wrote um, was a reunion episode. <laughs> and we there were so many moving parts. Last year, I wrote in, the, in season two, I wrote an episode that it wasn't a bottle episode, but it was very straightforward <clears throat> with an A story and a B story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my friend Rachel Bloom was in it. And so it was just really delightful and self-contained. Uh, and so that was just, just a breeze this season. I proposed a reunion story and then ended up writing that episode, but because there's so many moving, moving parts to a show that is liter- that is already a reboot that mm-hmm. builds off of nostalgia. They wanted to bring back old characters, which was super exciting, mm-hmm. but it, came there were so many twists and turns based on who was available who wanted to do what (laughs) what the actor producers wanted like there were so many moving parts that i think i certainly did the most rewrites of the season uh, on my episode (laughs) and by the end of the season a rap gift from our um uh, our one of our writing assistants was a beautiful uh beautifully bound copy a beautifully bound binder with a chronological uh procession of i think it's 12 <laughs> scripts 12 different scripts crazy um and and to your, to your just to your the thing that made me think of that was like using it to connect with so using it to connect with certain writers in the room certain friends there was even one draft that was just born out of like a technical need to re recenter what we wanted with the episode and so it was an internal draft only so i went nuts on it and it was literally just for the writer's room so i just for the fun of it because i could because it was using it as a tool not something to send out to um crew and staff and and studio yeah i just went nuts and made it like the stupidest dirtiest (laughs) (laughs) dirtiest version of the show that we could never actually ever a dream of airing but it was a tool and i was like honestly if i have to do this i'm gonna make it so fun that it like there's a little joke in here for everybody there's a little nugget and an easter egg for every writer in the room because i know this will this will tickle them um and so that was just such a 
you know, I was, I, I, it was a wild few weeks working on this episode and people were <laughs> very forthcoming and very, very um, sweet about it. Uh, Cause it was definitely the bear of the season, but man, like that was a, tr- you know, that's, that's a joy. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe somebody else would find it uh, excruciating, but like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm never not grateful to be able to do that with people who I think are so funny and the job itself is such a blast that I don't know. I, I mean, maybe not to be Pollyanna-ish about it, but God, I, 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 even that is like, yes, I'm bleary-eyed, and <laughs> yes, it's been twelve drafts or whatever. But like, God, it's still fun. Well, and it, it's such a fortunate thing, uh, you know, especially writing for TV because when you're in the feature world, a lot of the time, maybe you have a partner that you're working with, but a lot of time, it's just you in a dungeon somewhere. <laughs> Like trying to yep. trying to figure it all out. It, it it's totally. it's got to be really nice to be in a in a room with folks that are all there because they have some specific thing that they're bringing to it to begin with, or some sort of specific perspective that they're bringing to it. But then to yeah. be, be able to outline shit with these people must be a blast. Must be so it much is. fun. And, and I and you know, honest. I mean, this is such a this is such a, a boring pivot, and I and I'll make it short. But like in the TV process too, I still, to this day, am so grateful to the support staff, you know, these writer's assistants who work so, so, so hard capturing every word that every writer says at all times, organizing it, you know, for the, for the, essentially for the greater good. I mean, they're, they're not getting paid a lot of money, but they're doing the crux of the work because they're expected to quote unquote, put in their dues, which makes me roll my eyes. But at the same time, they are the backbone of these shows. And so I'm always just so grateful to what they do because I feel by the time I go to script and I have you know, chronologically, chronologically organized notes it's crazy to go off of i'm like this is like half of the work and and if somebody did this for me like in college they'd be uh, you know they'd be making a lot of money under the table <laughs> from me <laughs> yeah no that's not a boring thing man i mean i think most people don't understand that that's a big part of the the process and if you're going to be a writer's assistant if you're going to be at that level that, that's how so many writers try to break in the business that's how they get the exposure, that's how they make the connections to actually, you know, get asked to write for something and get the opportunity to write for something. Yeah, but I just I just hate that they I hate that it's considered paying your dues and that they have to like Yeah. That they don't get to make they they work so hard and it makes writing so much um not easier, but like it makes our lives so much easier or in terms of you know organization and and resources, it's it's so helpful. At least I find it that way. So I, I never I never devalue it or take it for granted. And I always try and make sure the support staff in a room feels seen and heard and um, valued because they are just so important and integral to everything. But that plays across the, across this industry, right? I mean, like there is something to be said. I have always been in support of this industry being a an apprenticeship business. Like, the, yeah. the, there's so much that you physically cannot learn without doing and without being in the position to do something. And the truth of the matter is, is that when you come out of school or if you get into this business, you just don't have the experience that you need in order to be reliable under certain stressful situations. And so yeah. I completely support the assistants and I completely endorse, you know, getting into this business by being a PA in any sort of department or field to learn this stuff. But I also firmly believe 
in making sure that you're taking care of these people that come yes. and work for you. It, and yes. if, if they're not making it, if, because there's a whole bit where if you're in school and you come work as a PA, or if you come work as an assistant on something, you're getting school credit. So there is a sense of payment that's there, but I also feel like those folks are being abused consistently by producers. They are. But, they are. Yeah. And I, and I, I just don't like it. It really, it really bums me out when, when people are undervalued just because they're, younger or i mean you know why it's because i mean i intern i did like <clears throat> so many internships in college yeah essentially because somebody said i'll never i mean i'll never forget somebody at the orientation saying um that uh that they used internships to figure out what they didn't want to do rather than what they did want to do because they had so many different um interests as did i so i used all these i used the opportunity to learn what I didn't want to do versus what I did want to do with internships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I always, always, always remembered what it felt like to be at the, at the bottom to be, you know, unpaid or, or paid the least. And, you know, sometimes people are just not respectful. And I, and bearing that in mind, I always want to make sure that if I can, that I can keep keep a, a PA or somebody at the bottom of the of the of the rung so to speak mm-hmm. from ever actually feeling devalued or or mm-hmm. taken for granted mm-hmm. and it's interesting when you find yourself and I'm speaking directly to the folks that are listening to the show that want to get into this business you find yourself in a position of power and it, even though that is a small sort of position of power but having someone that is working for you and underneath you ask yourself you know you know, if you do feel the need to lord yourself over them or your experience over them, you really should examine why you're doing it and re- yeah. really sort of examine, like, are you insecure about who it is that you are and your position? Are you letting it out on folks? Like, really spend some time. Like, if you find yourself shitting on somebody because <laughs> it's it's rampant in our business, uh, yeah. like someone that is just getting you coffee and you're shitting on them for that, or someone that is driving you and they're a driver in a van and you're not giving them, you're not even giving them the acknowledging the fact that they're a fucking human being that is yeah. sitting in this van all day and driving you all over the place. You, you really need to acknowledge why it is you're doing that. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect or I'm some sort of <laughs> angel. I just, I, I just can't imagine not, not giving somebody else uh, um, 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 the the basic level of respect for their service to you, yeah. and and it just why you wouldn't recognize that or why you wouldn't be kind to that person is is just beyond me. Absolutely, dude. And and our job, in theory, as storytellers, our we're supposed to be empathetic. We're supposed to actually be looking around and seeing how human beings act and what they do and how they respond to things. That's our fucking job because at, at that point we're translating that into through the skills that we have and all our tricks and our magic show that we put on. We're in theory trying to tell the story of people that are around us, and so yeah. there are so Humanity. many <laughs> there are so many people that work in our business. Which people that are being devalued right now and that are fighting for their values right now that treat people like shit. So it's just this yeah. systematic thing that, that – That's the crazy part. Yeah, man. That you're just like, how about we all look around and be like, hmm, when's the last time that I knew the guy's name that is uh, bringing me a coffee every day? When's the last time I right. asked them how they're do- – and that's, oftentimes that's it. It's not like 
those kids that are working for you are like, hey, I need you to pay me, you know, a uh, ridiculous salary for this. They're just like, hey, I just need you to acknowledge that I'm you. here. Yeah, man. Just say, just say thank you and just look at some, look at somebody and say you appreciate them. I don't, I, I don't think it has to, it's not a lot. It's not a lot, a lot to ask of somebody in my opinion. Yeah. 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 It's, that's just, you know, training and, and therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it or, or parenting, I don't know. Yeah, parenting yeah, yeah. therapy and and yeah, basic <laughs> empathy. Um, well, we're we're getting close to the end of this, and I I just want to pivot back to your work a bit, just so that this episode isn't completely, uh, you know, uh, an expose. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, but um, so you come from a family of of creatives, right? You and your sister are both mm-hmm. in the industry. Like what was yeah. it, what was it like at home? Were you, were you guys always performing? Were you guys, was it a big people, part of life? Yeah. People always um, ask us. And I, I think we both are kind of like, Oh, we never really stopped to think about it, but yeah, we were both pretty hammy. And um, <laughs> I think we can also point to, I mean, our dad's really, dad's really funny. Our mom's really funny uh, by Nate. My dad, like, like is very hammy. My mom is just funny, but doesn't necessarily know it. Um, doesn't see how she's funny, uh, but but then we, have, you know, my, my Alan and I have our I had a grandfather who was like such a such a a, a hammy kind of guy, always cracking jokes, and he really inspired us in that he would make I mean make sketch videos on his cam like he, he you know he had a camcorder that he filmed family stuff with, but he would make <laughs> sketches like literally uh, this man in his like sixties alone <laughs> would make sketches and, and fake newscasts and all this stuff. And that I think was just second nature to us in seeing him do it and instilled in us the same sort of um, creative freedom. And so I did the same thing when I got a when I basically took my dad's camcorder and mm-hmm. started making hours and hours and hours of sketch with Alana and, uh, and, and it just, it just kind of came naturally. And our parents are very, very encouraging, creatively speaking, mm-hmm. um, just always letting us just always encouraging us to be imaginative and, and, um, and to just do our thing. There never really was any sort of discouragement from ex- I- embracing that Im- imaginative side of ourselves. Mm. I, I mean, and I asked that question as a creative sort of examining it from the outside and uh, with your work and with her work, you can tell that that existed because there is this yeah. sense of freedom and adventure that, that comes from that, that really you need some sort of like support and love that, yeah. that sort of it nurtures that, you know what I mean? Well, an, al- an allowance to be playful. Yeah. Yeah, they, they 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 really encouraged us to be to be playful, and 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 I don't even know. I would say, you know, in retrospect, I don't even think it was some sort of like conscious parenting one hundred and one choice. Yeah. It was really just like, yeah, this is what they, they they did, and 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 in doing so, it gave us the room to to follow that trajectory. Yeah, yeah, I had a very similar path with my parents as well, and it's it always. I always chuckle when I'm in the in the process of putting something together or if I'm producing something on my own or if I'm making something from scratch. I always like get to the back end of it and I go, huh, this reminds me of when I was doing shit as a kid and we were doing Christmas pageants and we were filming those and we were doing all that stuff. It, it's like right. that sort of core, that core sort of confidence that comes with 
being able to make things and and not shit on for making things. Yes, yes, that's that's exactly right. You know, it really comes through, and it's 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 fascinating. You you encounter I I've encountered a lot of people in this business, whether it's actors or or writers, and they all come from different places, and you can just feel it. And it's it's I, maybe it's just from my perspective as a director and someone that's obsessed with faces, but you can just feel it on someone's face when they come from something yeah. that's good, you know? Oh, hundred percent. That's right. It's, it's, you can, you can, you really, I've never heard that expressed that way before, but yeah, you, you can see it on someone's face. It's true. Yeah. And I, I love to celebrate it. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Elliot, this has been great. I think we're kind of kicking it to, to the point where we should probably wrap this up. But um, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, man. I appreciate your uh, your candor. I appreciate the the ability that we've had to get out and really talk seriously about what's happening with the with the writer strike and in our industry. But also, I love the fact that you are so appreciative and really enjoy the work that you do. Um, and it sh- it shows, dude. I mean, the stuff that you've worked on are you know, guilty pleasures. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I bet, you know, I'm, that's, that's, that's all I really want to do is, is make, is just make funny stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're talking to a guy that makes horrible, like horror films and loves to scare people. And I still come home and I'm like, all right, we can watch new girl. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I'm happy for it. Yeah. Yeah man. yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Elliot. My pleasure. it is show in the can um i'm happy that uh, elliot spent the time and, and was willing to sort of go deep into um you know the reasons behind strike you know they're just it, it, look i know that we weren't talking about specific bullet point issues and there are a lot of specific bullet point issues that are tra- that they're attempting to address and we didn't really talk about the ai issues because i think at its core, the reason why there is a fucking strike is that there is a lack of respect. There's a lack of respect for people and their time and their reason for doing it and their understanding. Like it's just, it's just not there. And this is a this is a problem in American business. This is a problem within our capitalist structure right now. And I'm not shitting on capitalism because it's such a great system. If you if it's if it's mediated to a certain extent, but is that capitalism? If it's mediated, Michael. No, not anyway. Um, but uh, you know, in our core, most people just want to make money, and most people just want to make a lot of money, and some people just want to stack that money. Right? Ask yourself this simple question: When is the last time you had someone work for you? Okay. When is the last time you said thank you to that person that worked for you? When is the last time you actually had a conversation with that person that is driving you around in a van, grabbing you a coffee, just walking up to you? I know it can be difficult on larger sets. I mean, I've fallen victim to it where I've had people that are working for me and I've worked for production companies and I don't know everybody involved. And oftentimes I'll turn and forget that person's name 
but I try, try, try to make an active effort to look and meet each and every person that I work with. And I know that there's that old saying where you never know, you never know if that PA is going to be your boss in two or three years. That's, that's fear-based. Come on, man. Like, be curious. Be curious. And, and this also plays outside of our business. Maybe you work nine to five in some office place. Have you met everybody you work with? Do you know the name of the janitor that comes through and empties your waste paper baskets? They're there every day. They're picking up your trash. Do you know the name of the guy that comes and mows your lawn? Do you care? Do you care? That's the core of all of this. And yes, it's easy for us to sort of like go, well, we need our rights. We need these things signed. We need this stuff happening. It's, it's, we, we briefly said it on the show. It's unca- it blows my mind how many people are out there claiming that I have been taken advantage of and no one really gives me the respect or pays me the stuff that you need. And then you see them shit on the people that are underneath them. It's a problem. It's a problem that exists in our country. It's a problem that exists in our programming. It's a problem that exists with us as humans. Ask yourself. And if you do find yourself, because everybody has a weak point, right? If you do find yourself in a situation where you've shit on somebody, where you're not giving someone the respect that they deserve, think about it afterwards. After everything happens, things start to slow down a bit. This is something that happens with therapy. Think about it after ask yourself why did i do that what was i feeling in that moment was it insecurity was i angry was i upset was i being abused and did i just pass it down why why did i do that and even if you just have the ability to start thinking that way for those of you who find yourself in the situation a lot even if you start thinking that way you're making a movement in the right direction because you're processing it you're allowing empathy to open up and sort of come into your life you're starting to understand these things you're becoming a better human being you're becoming a better boss you're becoming a better inspiration a leader all these things are needed right now I don't know hope you guys enjoyed the show and a lot more episodes on the way and uh, I'm just going to say this I hope you guys are staying creative i hope you ladies are out there making things because if you if you heard on today's episode on today's episode um that's how you get ahead you make content you make stuff you put it out there you feel good about yourself because you're putting it together you're learning with other people as you put this stuff together it's healthy should take some of that advice mike Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening to the show. And as always, I'll see you next Tuesday.